Well, hey, man, again, first-time visitors, we're excited about you guys being here. Thank you for coming to worshiping with us. And, uh, man, we're just excited about what God's doing at Freedom Biker Church. We're in the parables of Jesus. You guys been reading ahead? Anybody been reading ahead? There you go. We got some reading ahead, man. Read ahead and uh, go back and look at what God's saying to you. Because, you know, as Bill and I preach, you know, we study the parables and we study what God's sharing with us. And, and uh, you know, we, we pray, God, how can, I, how can we share this in a way that everybody gets something from it? But, but, you know, when you go back and you read for yourself, man, God does some amazing things, doesn't he? When you read it for yourself, God may be speaking directly to you about something. So uh, right now we're in this, uh, it's, it's kind of like a mini-series within the parables, right? Sometimes Jesus did that, man. He, would, he was speaking to the religious leaders and, and, and to the chief priest. And, and we're in a little section right now in Matthew 21 where Jesus shared three parables specifically with the chief priest and the religious leaders. And it's getting time in, in, in here, man. It's the last week before his crucifixion, right? It's called Holy Week or Passion Week. And uh, Jesus has gone into the temple, right? Isaiah prophecy that Jesus would ride into the temple on a donkey. So he goes in the whole, the whole city, man. Imagine Fayetteville riding through downtown Hay Street, Jesus riding on a donkey, and all of Fayetteville comes out, right? 200,000 people, however many we got in Fayetteville now. All 200,000 are there just shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Imagine that for a minute, right? Almost like the Super Bowl this afternoon, right? You got all these people gathered together shouting over two teams fighting over a football and who's going to win the Super Bowl. You know, imagine that crowd shouting at Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna to Jesus. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Man, it was freaking the chief priest and the religious leaders out. It was freaking them out. Jesus goes in the temple. He sees, he sees in the temple that they're extorting the people, Right? They're selling pigeons and selling doves and selling stuff, man, and charging the people more than they should have for sacrifices. They're exchanging money, you know, and charging people more for the money exchange than they should have. They're just extorting the people. And what did Jesus tell them? They didn't say nothing at first. He was furious. What did he do? He made a cord of whips, started turning tables over, and started driving them out of the... Imagine that, man. Jesus is driving these people out of the temple. And he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. Right? I can't imagine Jesus getting mad, right? Can you all imagine that? In the court of Gentiles where all the business was taking place, Gentiles couldn't even pray. They couldn't even worship God. Man, it made the chief priests and religious leaders, they're, they're burning with anger, man. I mean, they are burning up, Right? They couldn't do anything because the people thought Jesus was a prophet. But they're burning up inside. They're wanting to eliminate him, right? Thinking of ways how they can arrest him, right? What does arrest mean? Arrest means stop, right? They want to figure out a way to stop him and eliminate him because he was such a threat to their way of life, to what they had developed. And, man, they were so far from God, weren't they? They were so far from God, man, on, on the inside, right? Jesus even called them what? Whitewashed what? Tombs. And then Jesus, this is where we're at. Jesus shares three parables, right? And it's directed to those religious leaders. It's directed to those chief priests. But look, man, we can get a lot out of this, okay? Now, how does it relate to us? How can we get out of it when it's, when it's directed to chief priests and Pharisees? How, how, aren't this, how, there you go. 
Y'all didn't hear David this morning. He said, look, we're all a little bit of Pharisee in us, aren't we? Huh? Ain't we got some Pharisee in us? Ain't we got a little religious leader in us? It's my way. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but that way leads where? To death. Man, we're all there at some point in time, right? I was. When I got saved, there was things I believed about the Bible, and until I got into God's Word and started looking at it myself, it was like, whoa, man, are you kidding me? Now, who's going to change, me or God? I had to do some changing, right? Now, God helped me do that. God did that in me. But Jesus shares these three parables. The first parable was about the parable of the two sons, right? Y'all remember what was that about? One word starts with an O. It's about obedience, right? One son says, uh, uh, no, Dad, I'm not going to go work in the vineyard today. But then he was convicted. He changed his mind. He went. The other son, oh, yeah, Dad, I'll be glad to help you out. He never shows up. I mean, that's what it's about, man. It's just, it, look, you know what obedience is? What's obedience? It's real simple. It's doing what the Father told us to do, right? Doing what God told us to do. Not all this other stuff. No, just do what God's told us to do. And you know, it's so crazy, man. God gave us an instruction manual to follow so we would know what to do. We wouldn't forget, right? Called the Bible. And then he gave the second parable, the parable of the evil tenants. This is a little bit more detailed. This is where a landowner, he, he built this magnificent Taj Mahal vineyard, right? Had a wine press in it, built a wall around it, had a watchtower for security. Some of the best grapes in the world, probably from Italy, right? The Bible didn't say that. I just made that up. <laughs> but, I mean, if you're going to make a Taj Mahal vineyard, you ain't going to go to Walmart and buy your grapes, right? I mean, that ain't happening. I mean, you're going to have some good wine, right? You're going to have some good, a good, good harvest, right? And he rents it out, you know, typical to sharecropping going on. He rents it out to some evil tenants. Now, why were they evil? Well, later on, after some time, the owner, he wanted his, his part of the investment, right? Hey, I got a Taj Mahal vineyard down there, man. It must be a good harvest. So he sends his servant to get his portion of the harvest. What do they do? They killed his servants. Then he sends more servants. What did they do with them? They killed them too. So then he said, oh, hey, hey, son, come here. Go down there and get our money. He sends his son down there. What did they do to the son? You see the parallel here? Now the religious leaders know what's going on. They know Jesus is talking about them, Right? crazy. The landowner was God. The vineyard are the people of Israel. The tenants were the chief priests and religious leaders of Israel. The owner's servants were those in the Old Testament, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Micah, some others who were killed, martyred for God. The owner was, owner's son was, was who? Jesus. And then those who are going to take the place of the evil tenants, because that's what Jesus said, look, I'm going to remove you he even asked the religious leaders, man, what do you think the owner should do? And they said, uh, those wretches should be dealt with harshly, right? But they knew, man, they knew in their heart who he was talking about. And it's a foreshadowing here. Jesus is, a, is, is, is foreshadowing the coming of who? Look at your neighbor and say, that's you, Bubba. 
Jesus is foreshadowing the church. Jesus is foreshadowing those who would come, who would produce a harvest, those who would produce fruit, those who wouldn't steal from him, right? Because basically that's what they were doing. Those evil tenants had stolen from God and had created their own form of religion, right? And two takeaways from that, man, two takeaways from that for me was, what am I doing with what God has given me? Do we really own anything? We don't own anything. Everything, you know, your kids aren't even yours. Everything we have on this earth, man, has been given to us by God to glorify Him. And when you start looking at possessions, when you start looking at things like, hey, this is God, and God has just given this to me for a specific time on earth to glorify Him, man, that changes everything, doesn't it? Look, Luke 12, 48 says this, To whom much is given, much will be required. What have you been given? What, what have we been given? Man, we've been given life. I've been given salvation. I've been given restoration. I've been reconciled to a holy God, right? Look at, man, look at all that God has given us. Let's just put the kickstand down. This, here's a whole different sermon. You're getting two for nothing today, okay? Look at all that God has done just with Freedom Biker Church. Look at what God has done. Look at how God has blessed us. Man, do you know we are blessed? Oh, my Lord, man, we are so blessed. What are we doing with God, what God has given us? We can't just sit on that. No, man, we got to go. We're here. God called us to the biker community. Somebody rides a motorcycle. Man, you need to go tell them about Jesus. And, hey, there's a place for you. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're passing out cards. That's why we're out in the community. That's why we're doing what we're, do, we're supposed to do. But, look, we, 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 we got to be more passionate about that. J.D., you're going to scare people to death. I hope so. I hope we scare them to Jesus. Rather than them die and miss Jesus. Okay? Because, guys, we've been blessed. Has God blessed you, family? Has God blessed you? Then, man, we need, we, need to, we need to repay God. Now, you can't pay God, right? But I want, I want to glorify God because of how God's blessed me, Right? It's kind of symbolic of that sharecropping deal, right? And then here's the second thing, man. Where's the fruit of God in our life? Where's the fruit of the harvest in our life? God is blessed. Okay, God's blessed us. He's given that, He's given us that Taj Mahal vineyard in our life. Where's the fruit? Because if there's no fruit, there's no what? There's no harvest. How do you give God something you don't have? My time, my talent, my treasures, my freedom, the opportunities that we have. How am I using that to give back to God? And that's three ways, man. We've been talking about it forever. You share the gospel. We make disciples. We meet community needs in the name of Jesus. That's it. That's all you do. There's fruit in that. And then the greatest fruit, and I, I love this, man. John chapter 15 is one of my, my, my favorite scriptures. The greatest fruit, the most abundant fruit, doesn't come from what we do, but it comes through what? Who I'm connected to. It comes through my relationship with him, right? 
I didn't say that. Jesus did. John 15, 5 through 8. Hey, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you can do anything. Apart from me, you can't do nothing, right? But if you stay connected to me and I'm in you, you will produce much fruit or abundant fruit. And it's to my Father's glory that you do this. There's, there's the fruit. And then we just keep giving back to God by sharing the gospel. We give back to God by discipling each other. We give back to God by meeting community needs in the name of Jesus. And that don't quit till we die. So are we doing that? Or are we specifically doing that? Are we doing it individually? Or are we doing it corporately? Okay? That, that's, man, that's what God put on my heart last week. Okay? And today's the third parable, right? Again, all of these are directed at the chief priests and religious leaders. And today's about the wedding banquet, right? We're in uh, Matthew 22 now, switching chapters. 22, 1 through 14. So if you got your Bible, turn there. If you got your cell phone, uh, pull it up on that. And look, man, in, in that day and time, it's kind of different than today, right? Now, wedding is a special time, right? Wedding is a special time, right? So, but in that day, man, weddings, weddings were something unique. Wedding, when a wedding was going on, I mean, the whole community was aware, right? And I mean, it was a week-long celebration. And things were done a little differently back in that time. But man, it was a week-long celebration, right? Guys, we're freaking out now, right? Because now ladies are all in it. Oh, yeah. Woo! But guys are going, oh, my God, what am I going to do, you know? And the parents, if you got, if you got uh, ladies now, right, they're like, oh, I can't afford a week-long celebration. But it was a little different back then. See, back then, some marriages were arranged, right? Or if it wasn't arranged, there was an engagement contract where a, 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 a man and a woman would come together, and they would fill out an engagement contract, and, and usually they were considered married at that point, okay? But they did not live together until the ceremony took place. So the, the, the groom would go back, and he would start working on the home, okay? He'd start working to build the home. The bride, she would be working on getting together with the husband for her home. They'd start working. Sometimes it might take six months, nine months, or a year before they were ready. Now, when the, when the groom was ready for the bride, what would he do? He'd get all his male friends together, and he'd say, hey, boys, it's time. Woo! Let's go get my bride. And he would go get the bride. Now, he may notify the family that, hey, I'm coming to get my bride, but he might not tell them what time. So they might know the day, but they wouldn't know the time. He would show up. Sometimes it could be during the day. Sometimes it could be at midnight that he would show up to get his bride. Then the ceremony would take place. And once the ceremony take place, now the party's on. That's when the wedding banquet took place, and that's when the week-long celebration would take place. So, man, this is a, this is a community event. This is a, a special time, and, and, and people were engaged in this, man. I mean, nobody wanted to miss a wedding, right? Especially the wedding banquet, right? Nobody wanted to miss that. So here it is. That's, that's the setup, right? That's, that's kind of what we're, the analogy Jesus has given here. And he says, look, Jesus speaks to them, verse 1, in parables, right? He said, look, the kingdom of heaven is like a king that prepared a wedding banquet for his son. 
He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Now look, we're talking about a community that everybody goes to the wedding banquet. And look, especially if you're invited, right? Especially, and now look, if royalty is involved, you know you're going to that, right? Because that's the best steaks, that's the best wine, that's the best fruit, that's the best, I mean, it's the best of everything, right? You're not going to miss a royalty, right? Y'all remember uh, uh, years and years ago, uh, King Charles, not King Charles now, but Prince Charles and Diana, remember how they blew up their wedding, right? And you're like, ah, yeah. But think about it. Think about the person that's most important in your life right now. Think about some celebrity that you really follow right now or that you like or your, your, your most famous musician. Say they sent you a personal invitation to their wedding. And you know the whole community is going to be there. I mean, you would show up, right? I mean, most of us were like, yeah, man, I'm going to be there. Are you kidding me? I'm going to be there. I'm marking that down on my calendar now. So that's kind of where they're at, man. And look, those people listening to Jesus at this point, they would have been in shock. Because nobody refuses to go. Who refuses to go to the wedding banquet? And then this is the king? And people are refusing to go. Nobody shows up. So they would have been in shock. Now, look at verse 4. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who've been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Are you kidding me? The king sends servants to those who... Now, think about it now. They've already been invited. And the king sends servants to remind them, hey, the ceremony's taking place. The banquet's getting ready to start, man. Come on, let's go. And, and it moves now from, a, from a, a request to kind of like a command. Come to the wedding banquet. Again, this is king. This is royalty, right? And they, they've got better things to do. I got to wash my car, man, my motorcycle. I got to change out the grips on my motorcycle. What are you talking about? I can't go to your wedding. I just bought a piece of land. I just, I just got, well, I got to take the trash to the dump. I got to, you know, all kinds of stuff they got to do except go to the wedding banquet and they've already been invited. And now just like the previous, the evil tenants, they killed some of the servants because they were asking them to go to the banquet. I mean, who does that? You're invited to a royal wedding and you're going to kill the messenger to invite you? I mean, that's just blatant, spit-in-your-face opposition, isn't it? It's just, man, that's just pure rebellion, right? The king hears God the Father, isn't he? Who is the son that the wedding banquet is for? Jesus, right? Who are those who are personally invited to the wedding feast? The people of Israel, the chief priests, and the religious leaders, right? The king's servants, again, were the prophets of God that were martyred, killed just for sharing God's word, just for sharing the word of the Lord says, the word of the Lord says, 
And in the wedding feast, the wedding feast is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Y'all ever heard of that, that phrase before? The wedding banquet. The wedding banquet is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is when Jesus comes to get his bride. Jesus comes to get his bride. Bam. All of God's, all of Christ's followers. Okay, let me say it that way. Not those who believe in Jesus. No, all of Christ's followers are united with Christ finally in heaven. And the wedding banquet takes place. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb, guys. Man, that's going to be an awesome time, isn't it? The king, man, verse 7. <clears throat> the king was enraged. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, think about it. You're, just, you're having a banquet for your son. You've sent out the invitations. You've done all this work. You've just been gracious to send these people, to send these folks out, okay, to invite them to come, and they kill your servants. So the king is furious. He sends his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So the king retaliates, right? Now, some, some theologians and some commentaries said this might be in reference to the Romans' destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. <clears throat> you know, and, and God doesn't personally come down and destroy. What, what does he do? God raises up other people, right? Remember in the Old Testament when uh, the Chaldeans or the Assyrians or the, the Medes and the Persians uh, Persians would, would come in and, and take over Israel because Israel was disobedient. This is what God's doing right here. And, you know, really, it's not, it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's just, it, it's, look, man, here's, here's what it is. God is not going to tolerate disobedience for so long. He's not. And, look, you may get away with it. We may get away with it on earth. But you know what? There's a payday coming. When we leave planet earth, we are going to stand before a holy God one day and nobody else is going to be there to answer for you or for me. And we're going to have to give an account to God of everything that we've done, everything we've said. That's kind of scary. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says people will reap what they sow. It may be in this life, but it's definitely going to be in the next. Okay? Then in verse 8, he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, by this time, the religious leaders, they've called on. The chief priests have called on, Right? Because it's very similar to the last evil tenants. And they knew what was going on. So they've kind of caught on. Man, to tell religious leaders, to tell the chief priest of Israel that you don't deserve to come to the banquet, you don't deserve to come, you don't deserve heaven, man, that was, that was like cutting out their heart. Okay? Because in their mind, they were the epitome of, of righteousness. In their mind, they were the epitome of of, 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 of those who should have been there, right? They thought they were more worthy. They thought they were more righteous than anyone. <laughs> and you're going to go invite anybody? Anybody can go to the banquet in my place? This is a foreshadowing right here. 
a foreshadowing of how much God loves us. A foreshadowing of Jesus' death. Man, they didn't understand it. The, the, the disciples who heard this didn't understand it. It didn't sink in until after the resurrection. What God did, what Jesus did on the cross. But man, from Genesis to Revelation, in all of God's Word, you know we're all invited? Everybody's invited. Now, why did God choose the nation of Israel? Why did, why did He choose them? He chose them, Genesis 3.15, right? God had a promise, I'm going to make things right. I'm going to restore this relationship. That came through the children of Israel, right? That came through the nation of Israel. But salvation, God had in the beginning, man, to restore all of mankind, not just the Israel, Israelite nation. So it's, it's unfolding just as God would have it. Remember when we went through Genesis when, when, when God said to Abraham, look, leave your native country, your relatives, your fa father's family. Go to the land that I'm going to show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you, make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. Listen to this. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That all there means everybody, not just the nation of Israel. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven: 27, the whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. Man, that's, that's everybody worldwide. And in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, John the Revelator, he's there in heaven. He sees, he sees what's going on. He says, look, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing for the throne before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Man, that's what we can anticipate. Now, the religious leaders had no clue. Okay, And, and we can get real, real deep in, into... Uh, into God's ordained will, right? There, there are things that are going on, man, and, and we do have free will. But, but God had a plan, and God's plan was being worked out, even though the religious leaders were choosing not to do and, and not to accept Christ, and they wanted to eliminate Christ. It was playing into God's plan. Now, I can't wrap my mind around some of all that, how God's plan works with our free will, and His plan works that, that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Sometimes you just have to say, okay, Lord, I'll trust you because you're God and I'm not. But in Acts chapter 13 and, and, and chapter 28, this was Paul in, in 13. It was Paul and Barnabas, their first missionary trip. Here's what they said to the, to the Jewish leaders. Verse 46 there says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you've rejected it and judged yourself unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. Say praise God, because that's us. Okay? He's talking about us. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I've made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. And then in, and in, when Paul was in Rome addressing the local Jewish leaders in Rome, he said this, 
The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, this is way before Jesus came, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles. Say, praise God again, that's us. And they will accept it. And remember now, the kingdom, the, the, the wedding hall, or, or the hall there at the king's palace, it's filled to capacity, okay? Look at verse 11. When the king came in to see the guest, you know, the king's, the king's, and you know how the wedding party comes in, right? We're having this wedding banquet. Everybody's gathered, you know. They're eating finger foods, waiting on the, 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 the wedding party to show up. And now the king arrives, right? The king and all his entourage, he shows up and he's walking around greeting people, right? So when the king came in to see his guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Then he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Notice this. How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? Now, this might have been somebody he knew, or he just might have been gracious, right? The man was speechless. God didn't say anything. Now, what in the heck is this thing with wedding clothes? What's, what's the deal with wedding clothes? People who were invited by the king, they would have been prepared. They had plenty of time to prepare, right? They had plenty of time to go down to, you know, men's warehouse and get them a suit or two, right? Or go wherever you go to get your, get your suit. They had plenty of time, ladies, to go get your dress and prepare for the wedding banquet. But when the servants went out and just started inviting anyone, a lot of people, that they, hey, I said the good and the bad, right? I mean, some, some poor joker on the street corner, man, he ain't, got, he ain't got no threads to show up for a royal wedding. So the king, the king is giving them wedding garments to show up. The king is giving them a suit. Here you go, wear, wear this when you come. Here, here's your dress, here's your suit, here's your robe. Notice when we read in, in Revelation 19, it said they all, this great multitude, were wearing white robes. It's a picture of salvation. How do you show up for God's banquet? How do we show up for God's banquet? Don't we have to have some wedding clothes? Doesn't, doesn't salvation consist of, a, of, of the Holy Spirit? We accept Christ. Christ comes in and through the Holy Spirit, we put off the old and we put on the new. Huh? You know what it says? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. The, the old is where? Gone. Behold, everything is new. How does, how does that happen? Because the Holy Spirit comes on us and the Holy Spirit transforms us, right? It's like putting a new soda, suit of clothes on. It's like taking a bath and cleaning up, getting that haircut, cleaning up, 
and, and, and presenting ourselves to God. And God looking at us and going, wow, yeah. We don't show up in our nasty, filthy rags, right? Look, guys, it's, it's a right standing before God, right? It's, it's a right standing before Him. It's presenting ourselves to God in Jesus Christ. Check this out, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Look, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? How does the unrighteous become righteous? How, how does that happen? Through Christ. Only one way, guys, right here to the cross. There's only one way that the unrighteous become righteous, and that's through Jesus Christ and the cross. Isaiah 66, I'm sorry, 64, 6. We are all infected. You might want to scoot over from your neighbor. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous, look at this, look. When we display our righteous deeds, in other words, when we show up, we show up in filthy rags. Man, that's all I got. All I've got to offer God in and of myself is a filthy, nasty. Think of the nastiest thing that you could think of right now. Guys, that's all we've got. That's our best before a holy God. Romans 3, 10, 18, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one goods, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom dip drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. That's hatred in their heart. Who is he talking to? Where, where was the heart of the religious leaders and the chief priests at that time? They hated Jesus, right? Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Then Romans 3.23, for everybody has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But God. But God. That's where we are. But God. See, the king or God in his love, mercy, and grace provides for our righteousness. He provides us a garment. Look at this. Ephesians 1, 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so anybody can boast. It's nothing we did. Nothing anybody did. God loved us that much to give us a new garment so we could put it on and be righteous before Him. Romans 5, 9. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. God, there's nothing else. There's no other suit. There's no other garment. There's no other righteousness. There's no other right standing in front of God but the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else. But J.D., I, I've done all these things. Don't matter. Check out Romans 7. I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 7. It's based on relationship. 
or we're not in right standing with Him. It's based on relationship or we're not righteous before Him. I love this, Hebrews 9, 12. With His own blood, with His own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, He entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. It's done. It's done. When Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. God himself said it's finished. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him, meaning Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, that's the wedding garment. So here he sees this one cat that shows up in his clothes, right? That shows up in his own righteousness. And he said, friend, how did you get in here without your wedding clothes? What, what happened? The guy was speechless. He had no words. Guys, there'll be no excuses in heaven when we stand before a holy God. There will be. You will have no excuse when we stand before God one day. And then notice the pride, okay? When the king confronted him, he had no excuse, but didn't he have an opportunity at that time to ask for forgiveness? Didn't he have a time at that a point? At, I mean, he could have said, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me. Please forgive. He didn't. He didn't, even, he didn't even ask for forgiveness. Now, isn't that where the religious leaders are at? The religious leaders and the chief priests have an opportunity. Jesus has just shared three parables with them. They have an opportunity to repent. They have an opportunity to recognize where they are, their heart, their hatred. But they don't even repent. They don't even, they don't even apologize. They just continue to pursue arresting or stopping Jesus and eliminating him. And in verse 13 and 14, the king told his attendants, tie him up, hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you all heard that in the Bible before? Have you heard that phrase in the Bible? Anytime you hear that phrase in the Bible, man, what's that a picture of? That's a picture of separation from God, a place called hell. God didn't throw, check this out, listen, listen. God didn't throw him out because he was unworthy. Guys, we're all unworthy. There's no, we just read that. There is nobody righteous. There's nobody in the right standing before God. God didn't throw him out because he was unworthy. God threw him out because he was unwilling to put the wedding garment on. He was unwilling to accept Christ. He was unwilling to put Christ on. He was unwilling to abide in Christ. What I got is good enough. I don't need Jesus. I don't need. I'm going to stand before God on my own. Guys, that's a scary place to be. That's a, that's a scary place to be. And in verse 14, 
he ends with this. For many are invited, but few are chosen. See, look at this, man. God in His love, His grace and mercy invited everyone to come to the wedding feast, to that wedding banquet. And not only invited them to come and participate, but gave them a wedding garment. Provided for them to come so they would be in right standing with the king. So they wouldn't have to be ashamed, right? Are we willing to accept Christ, to put Christ on, abide in Christ? So we can participate in the celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, the only way we're going to be willing to participate is if we have accepted Christ, we've put Christ on, and we're abiding in Christ. Anything less, guys, we're not welcome. And it kind of sums up the parable right here. That, that's the whole point, right? The whole point of, of, of that is in that one little verse, verse 14. Many are invited, invited to accept Christ, to put on Christ, to abide in Christ, and celebrate with God the Father for eternity. But few are chosen because they're simply unwilling to do so. Man, that's hard, isn't it? That's a scary place to be, man. And I don't know where you're at today. But God, in His love, in His grace, in His mercy, listen to this. God is not willing to lose you. Do you know God would rather have you in any situation on earth than to lose you for eternity? See, God's okay. God's okay if, 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 if cancer takes over your body, if it causes you to put on the garment. God's okay for that automobile accident to take place if it causes your husband to put on the garment. God's okay, man, to lose a child if it causes you to put the garment on. God would rather you be anywhere on earth than to be separated forever in eternity from Him. Guys, that should wake us up. And I got friends, and you got friends, and we got a community of people in Fayetteville. They don't know. They're not, they're not willing to put the garment on because they don't know. Some don't know. Some do know, and they've just been rejecting, right? They've been denying. Guys, it's up to us. It's up to us to tell them. It's up to us to plead with them. It's up to us to share the gospel, to disciple, and to meet community needs in the name of Jesus. Because one day, man, when we stand before a holy God, I don't want to hear, man, that, that these, those over there, J.D., they're going to go to hell. You had an opportunity, but you didn't share. You didn't disciple you didn't meet community needs. And man, that's real. That comes from Isaiah, uh, not Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36. Do you, know, do you know the opportunities that we have that we 
choose not to take, their blood's going to be on our hands. God's Word says that. I don't want that blood on my hands. Do you? Man, that should drive us right there. That should drive us to make sure that we're sharing. And I want to end with this. John, you come on. Ephesians 4, 22 and 24. Check this out. Paul said, look, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Man, that's where we need to be today. I'm taking off the old. I'm, put, I'm accepting Christ, first of all, right? I accept Christ by asking for forgiveness. Lord, I'm stupid. Help me. I accept. I accept your gift, God. And you take it and you put on Christ. You take the old off. You put on Christ. Jesus, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I'll help you, son. Just surrender to me and I'll help you. You ever had your little two-year-old, three-year-old trying to get dressed? Huh? That's a sight, ain't it? Huh? You dress them. That's what God does with us. He dresses us. And he makes it right. Man, today, I don't know where you're at. Have you accepted Christ? Have you accepted the gift? Have you put him on? See, it's not enough, man, just to have the gift at home sitting on the shelf. So when you get sick one day and you're in the hospital and that time comes, then you say, hey, go get that gift that's in the closet. I might want to put that on now. I don't believe it works that way. Do deathbed conversions happen? Yes, they do. God is a God of grace and mercy. I believe that happens. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. So if you know today is the day of salvation, then what are you waiting for? Why are you going to stick that, that gift on the shelf somewhere? Because that deathbed conversion may not happen for you. Take it off the shelf, man. Open it up. Put it on. And then abide in Him, live in Him, walk in Him, talk in Him, right? That's what, that's what we're talking about here. That's, that's what Jesus is communicating here through this parable to the chief priests and religious leaders. Guys, you're going to miss out. And I really believe in my heart of heart, I believe Jesus' heart was broken for them, wanting them to confess and to repent but they were unwilling. Let's pray. Father, I pray today for a willing spirit. I pray today that those sitting here and we're worshiping together and those online watching, I pray for a willing spirit right now. Father, help us to accept the gift that you gave us in your son, Jesus Christ. The only garment that's worthy, the only gift that's worthy, the, the, the only suit of clothes that's worthy to stand in your presence. It's Jesus' blood. It's, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that he spilled out on the cross. 
So, Father, help us to accept that. Help us to put that on. And then never take it off. That's what it means to abide in Him. I'm putting it on. I'm putting this new nature on. And I'm not taking it off. Because that old nature, that old sinful me, that old sinful self, it stinks. It's horrible. And this new nature in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. I've never felt anything like it before. It's amazing how it fits and how it wears and how, how blessed I am to have it on. And Lord, through that, we can live in obedience to you. We can produce that harvest. We, we, we see fruit in our life. Not just some fruit, much fruit that brings you glory. Well, I, I believe that's the picture that Jesus is painting here with the religious leaders and the chief priests through these three parables. It's also the picture that I believe is being painted for us today. So, Father, I pray for each and every person here today. Lord, help us to respond appropriately to you. Lord, and the appropriate response is to accept you, to put you on, to abide in you and never, ever take you off. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.